Episode 17. I guess it's time for contracts. Are you ready for Dave and Jerry? I'm going to have you read something because we thought on a Monday morning this would be fun to have you do. Mm -hmm. And then if you mess it up, we'll have Bruce do it. All right. Because you guys are the ones with the big voices. There he is. There's Bruce right there. The big deal. We can read really fast and we'll never screw up. Blah, 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 blah. I can't read fast. Oh, you do. I am not a fast reader. You can sit there and do those carb. Tonight. No, no, no. no, I I have never been able to do those. I can't read those fast things. That's great because entertainment will now ensue. Dave reads. I I mumble through those things. I can't do these. Petey the Snake. We don't get to see him first? No. This is a cold read? Yes, Can it I is. Can I wait until I've tried to You do may the not. Petey was a snake, only so big. Petey lived in a pit with his mother. One day, Petey was hissing in a pit when his mother said, Petey, don't hiss in the pit. Go outside to pit to hiss. So <laughs> Petey went outside of the pit to hiss. Petey was hissing all around the pit when he finally leaned over and hissed in the pit. Petey's mother heard Petey hissing in the pit and said, Petey, if you must hiss in a pit, go over to Miss Potts' pit and hiss in her pit. Petey went over to Miss Potts' pit to hiss in her pit, but Mrs. Potts was not at home, so he hissed in her pit anyway. While Petey was hissing in Mrs. Potts' pit, Mrs. Potts came home and found Petey hissing in her pit. She said, Petey, if you must hit in a pit, don't hiss in my pit. Go to your own pit to hiss. Very good. This made Petey very sad, and he cried all the way home. When Petey got home, his mother saw him crying and said, Petey, what's the matter? Petey said, I went over to Mrs. Potts to hiss in her pit, but Mrs. Potts was not at home, so I hissed in her pit anyway. Mrs. Potts came home and found me hissing in her pit and said, Petey, if you must hiss, hiss in a pit. Go to your own pit to hiss. Don't hiss in my pit. This made Petey's mother very angry, and she said, Why, that mean old lady, I knew Mrs. Potts. When? He didn't have a pit to his in. Oh, man. I'm so sure you would screw that up. You did I good. Was, you did do good. You want to try it, Bruce? Not really. <laughs> Welcome to Radio War Stories. In every episode, hosts Dave Jagger and Don Nelson reach into their arsenal of decades of radio experience to entertain you with their most amusing, enthralling, and interesting stories. Suit up and get ready for today's episode. It's another Radio War Stories. Hi, I'm Dave Jagger. And I'm Don Nelson. Oh, it's great to be back in the old warm studio with our wonderful warm mixer back here, got, isn't it? Got all of the equipment. We're ready to just... Walk and whoa, walk and whoa. <laughs> it really made a difference. I had uh, the past, past few weeks, I had to send my mixer off, folks, and get it prepared. But we're all good now. And, uh, you know, Don's fascinating story last week just absolutely blew me away. Uh, just love listening to your stories about uh, how things came down. And and just, a, it was just great. Great to talk to you last week. Every week it is. Uh, this week, I'm going to talk a little bit or at least Don's going to ask a few questions or I'll fill in the blanks about something that a lot of radio morning guys did uh, really started in the 90s for successful morning shows in smaller to medium markets and that was to use agents 
for your contracts. Mm -hmm. Most of the time, you went in and signed, a, like you said, a letter of intent. Right. Like when I went to work at WQUA, and it said, uh, you will, we will pay you the princely sum of $50 a week, you know? And yeah. That was it. Yeah. yeah. The princely sum. Right. <laughs> so we didn't have, I mean, you signed a letter of intent. Most of that stuff were always in favor of the radio station. Sure. And nothing in favor of whoever the personality was that was signing that piece of paper. So uh, in the 90s, things started to change a little bit. As you stayed in your markets longer, as people started, particularly in a medium market like I was in, in Grand Rapids, mm -hmm. uh, Jerry and I were very comfortable. We initially did all of our letters of intent with the general manager. Mm -hmm. However, our general manager at the time was extremely cheap and uh well, that's that goes with the territory <laughs> I, that's what i've heard but you see now i don't believe that with you because you said all i did was sign the checks and you guys to talk to you you had great equipment you really let if if your programming staff needed something it sounds to me i mean unless it was out Landish and crazy, he would give them those things. You got them great Neumann microphones, sure, right. and things like that. I never worked with a Neumann in my life. Heck, the most most expensive mic I ever talked into, I think, was probably a Electro Voice RE20, and they were about three hundred dollars at the time. And you know, it, when push comes to shove, the Neumann probably didn't make you sound any better. It just made you feel better. It made you feel better. Right. You're absolutely right. As a matter of fact, that uh, I posted a picture on Facebook last week. Uh, it should still be there with me with extremely long hair in 1971. And that skinny little microphone, that little pencil mic that we used, uh, was an electro voice. And it didn't sound all that good. So we were always lobbying for new microphones. And finally, when we went to Sennheiser's and then finally went over to the RE20. But uh, that, that's the kind of thing that, that I'm talking about. You didn't have any protection. And if you needed something for your morning show, you always had to go to the PD. And then he had to go to the GM. And then you all got into a cluster. And, and But with contracts, you got all that stuff lined out. These are the weeks we went for uh, vacation. Now, did you, first of all, start trying to do contracts by yourself, or did you run into an agent right away? Ah, that's, a, that's a perfect question, because back in the 90s, every single year, Jerry and I would always go to uh, Bitford Fest Dallas, BFD, put on by... Kid Craddock. Right. Kid Craddock, one of the greatest mentors and friends to other morning shows across this country in the 90s. Uh, he would put this on. It started off very small. Jerry and I went to the very first one. Guys like uh, Mancow, uh, Jeff and Jer, we were there. Not that that makes any difference. Uh, guys that have gone on to be really, really big in the industry and a couple of others that were there that just kind of disappeared but we came to bfd and some of the things we always talked about at these yearly conventions were things like contracts kid would get up there and he say you know i never used to use a contract until i went to work at kiss here in dallas and then he would tell us about how that process worked he gave out names he had his 
agent there to talk to us about that and Sweet. hopefully right. yeah and hopefully get a little more business for himself mm-hmm. bob eatman was that guy's name he and his brother ran a law firm they were both lawyers and uh bob was uh, entertainment lawyer primarily focusing on radio talent so we hired bob in the 90s uh because kids said believe me your company doesn't care they're going to release you one day and you're going to be out with nothing. You're going to be on the beach starving to death. So can't imagine get, that happening in the radio business. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. So get yourself some protection. Hire yourself an agent. Yeah, it's going to cost you anywhere between 10 and 15%. But that was built in. So we did it. And uh, boy, GM got mad. Man, he was not happy with that at all. <laughs> Uh, because once again, like you said, and or you will say in a minute, we dealt with the owners. We didn't deal with him, mm-hmm. and we went around him and dealt those contracts with our owners. So we were basically contract help, not for the radio station, but for the company. For the, the corporation. For the right, corporation, sure. and he didn't like that at all. He didn't think anybody on the air should make more than $30,000 a year. You know, he would give you a raise and hold his finger on that dime as hard as he could as he scraped it across the table at you. So, and of course, you and Jerry started off at 30000 a week, right? And then you negotiated from there. Correct, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, we, we started, yes, that was the beginning point. And we did do, we did learn that as well from Kid. And just like in sales, Don, it's always the same thing. You pitch high. Right. Because what's the worst they can say? that point and then from that point you start to negotiate exactly so kid was a big thing get one now to protect yourself uh and when we hired bob that made all the difference in the world i'll never forget it it was in the spring and and uh he called up after he had been negotiating with the owners (laughs) he said uh he's what are you doing dave and i said well we're here trying to figure out if we maybe want to just go to chicago for spring break for a week or so or Maybe take a cruise, a little more expensive. Well, we don't know. We're kind of thinking about what we want to do with the kids and the family. And he goes, well, i tell you what you do. He says, it's more expensive to take the cruise. Sign up for the cruise because you can afford it now. <laughs> so he had finished the deal. He had finished the deal. Your behalf, huh? He told us what the deal was, and we were extremely excited. I mean, it was, it was really nice. And from that point on, for the rest of our careers, we really made... Uh, pretty good money, even in that little dinky market. Mm-hmm. We're doing fairly well. And I'm not trying to brag, but we made more money than some of the uh, big talent in Detroit did in our own state. So we felt very fortunate, very blessed. Bob Eatman did us a fantastic job. Is he still in the business? Do you Bob, know? Is, his brother is. Bob died about two yeah. or three years ago. He got extremely ill yeah. and he did pass away. But uh, his brother continues on. Well, I uh, time-wise, my timing was perfect because uh, by the time you guys were starting to get uh, agents to come in and negotiate contracts with you, I was out of the business. That's uh, right, and, and I was just going to say you never had to deal with that until when? Well, uh, in in Los Angeles, of course, the talent had contracts, but that again was all done with corporate, so sure. it had nothing to do with me. And that didn't bother you, you right? Would you? Did you prefer it that way? Oh, absolutely, right, because they could do whatever they wanted to do and scream and yell at each other, and then when they when uh, it came to the guys that I was working with, the talent day in and day out, I wasn't part of it. 
I wasn't the yeah. guy who was being mean. Well, or, that's or what I tried to explain yeah. to our GM at one yeah. point, you know. And yeah. it, I said, Phil, you never have to worry about dealing with, with corporate on this stuff. Right. They're just going to tell you, Dave and Jerry are going to make this amount of money. Of course, then he was worried, well, what about the budgets? How am I going to cover that in the budget? <laughs> that kind of thing. Yeah, well, you know, he doesn't have to worry about covering in the budget because the boss is the one that did it, as long as the yeah. owner is doing the negotiation. It, it worked out really well right up until the beginning of the Great Recession, uh, Don, and that's when uh, we went to work after they decided they just didn't want us anymore at W Light. Uh, even the owners, uh, I talked to one of the owners. He says, "Tell you what, I'm gonna do. Says, I'm, gonna, I'm gonna give you. We're gonna keep you at the same salary and 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 uh, uh, put you on for for the next year." I said, "Well, that's not a no cut deal or anything. This is you're just giving me another year at the same amount of money, and you're not really changing anything." And he paused and said, "Yep, yep." <laughs> <laughs> So, after our episode with that, and we went across the street, our contracts ended, we stayed at home for five or six months, and then went to work for a brand new frequency uh, with a hot AC station across the street, owned by Citadel at the time. Once again, Fareed Suleiman and Judy Ellis were the two big ones for that one, and then, of course, they sold to Cumulus. That general manager did the deal with us, but he still it was still with corporate since he was a corporate representative. Uh, but we did it. We told him what we wanted and showed him to it because we hired a different uh, agent for some reason, Adam Goodman. I throw up in my mouth a little bit when I say his name <laughs> because he didn't do us very well. And then after we actually got fired from Citadel... We hired Paul Anderson, one of the greatest, nicest guys you'll ever meet, just like Bob Eppen was. But uh, Paul Anderson represents a ton of people now. He lives in Seattle, in the Seattle area. And so we hired Paul and uh, to try to help us find another job when there weren't any, Don. There right. just weren't any jobs. Well, that's when we decided to, you know... Uh, do a podcast. A what? A podcast. Exactly. That's what everybody was saying. What the heck is a podcast? When was that? That was in 2008. How did you spell it? P-O-D-C-A-S-T. 2008. <laughs> in 2008. Actually, wow. we had the idea in 2007. And I and, and that's, this is actually going to be in next week's uh, uh, podcast. But I will tell you this about starting a podcast. We learned so much about the content and how important it is and all those kinds of things. Not having any contracts, not having any kind of, any form of income whatsoever was not easy. For sure. It it was a tough time. Let me ask you a question. Yeah, I've been out of this end of the business for a very long time, it seems. And I wonder if today media market personalities are still working with contracts or with the fact that we've had this banker consolidation of the industry, uh, do they just look at you and say, we ain't going to do that? Unless you are a, most of the time what they've done and what I've found is that the syndicated shows Mm -hmm. are getting big money now and they still have contracts. Uh, But now what they're doing is every time they add on another radio station, they get they get a bump in salary. Uh-huh. Okay. 
if uh, that radio station goes away, they still make the same money, uh-huh. which is a pretty good thing if you if you can add stations and still keep making the same money. But no, medium markets, and my guess is only L.A., Chicago, Atlanta, New York, those guys in morning drive only. Yeah. Okay. That's what I would have thought by now, because yeah. that's part of the... The beauty, uh, or lack of beauty, of the consolidation. Uh, the the uh, ownership has so much power that it's just almost impossible for uh, a normal employee uh, in a normal market to be able to dictate any kind of terms at all. Yeah, and you know, we left that. We still got a little bit of time here. Um, we left everybody hanging with that's when the bankers took over. And this is really something we can both kind of address. But you felt that coming maybe five years or more before, or ten years or more before everybody else did. Why is that? Uh, it was just the way the whole business was going. The first, you know, the day that somebody in Brilliance decided to do away with the ownership rules, uh, this became a license to steal as far as bankers were concerned. Uh, uh, for folks uh, who, who may not know, and I think we addressed this once before, uh, for many, many years, any one owner could only own 1 AM and 1 FM in a total of seven markets. In other words, 14 radio stations, that was it. Yeah. And that was the absolute max. Then one day they decided to just do away with that. Mm-hmm. And what it in fact did was do away with local ownership. And local, a lot of local programming. Of course, right, yeah. right. Yeah. Uh, that's and that really is the beginning of the end. I think we also earlier had touched on a couple of guys that lived here in Dallas, the Hicks brothers, mm-hmm. and they were the ones. Of course, all of this stuff was lobbied, Don, as you probably know, by oh, yeah. sure. a lot of these guys that had a ton of money or had connections in Washington, and they would lobby the FCC and try to get these laws passed or their congressmen and senators try to get this law passed. I do know this, and I remember reading that, that uh, Bill Clinton, when he signed the New Communications Act in 92 or 94, he said if he had known what was going to happen to the industry, he never would have signed that bill into law because it was the beginning of the end. These guys came in and thought they could buy up radio stations for 12 times the amount that they were worth, thinking they were going to get a quick turnaround on these properties. And Radio is not that kind of business. Well, they did get a quick turnaround, but they had to go through bankruptcy to get it done. Exactly. Exactly. And And then when they went into bankruptcy, their debt was there for uh, anyone to come along and buy up. And that's when the Bain Capitals and all these guys came along to buy up debt. And so these are bankers. These are not people that know radio. They didn't know anything about the industry. They were just buying up a corporation's debt and had no idea, or at least very little idea, about how to operate radio stations. Can you imagine uh, today an 18-year-old kid walking into the local radio station in Dallas and saying, I'd like to speak to the owner? (laughs) Ain't going to happen. Yeah. They just look at you like, well, for one thing, he's going to have to find a radio station that actually has people in it. (laughs) 
because most of them don't. Exactly. <laughs> and number two, they're just going to look at them and laugh like you did because there are no owners in radio stations anymore, that's for sure. The times, they are changing <sighs> and they continue to. Yeah. So thank you, Hicks Brothers, for making a wonderful decision. They did go bankrupt, by the way, with all their stars. Central Star, Southern Star, Northern Star, Western Star, Eastern Star. Those were the groups yeah. where they were going to have all those radio stations clustered in those groups. And bankruptcy started. And bankruptcy came along. There you go. So, next week, though, next week is going to be mildly interesting as well because we're going to start talking about doing that podcast that we did, that Jerry and I started in 2008. Awesome. We'll, we'll talk about that next week. Looking forward to it. Thanks for listening to Radio War Stories. Make sure to rate, review, and subscribe on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or wherever you listen to your podcasts. Like us on Facebook at Radio War Stories and call in with your questions or comments here or on Skype. Skype at RadioWarStories.com. We look forward to hearing from you. See you next week.